thankful that I have the opportunity to do something I don't do very much, which is open up God's word and preach. And so this morning we are going to be in the book of Galatians chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to open that up. We have some scattered throughout the room, these blue Bibles. Uh, you can find it in there as well on page 1076, uh, Ryan's favorite year. That's, if you want to know, he'll tell you why 1076 is his favorite year. Um, anyway, so you can find it there. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, be sure to take that with you. We would love for you to have that. Uh, would you stand, if you are able to, for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read Galatians 4. This is 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, our Father, would you open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive in faith what you have for us this morning in this text. May we more richly understand the riches found in your word, that we might cherish them more dearly together today. We ask all this by the power of your Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. In 2004, I was a junior in high school, and I remember seeing the movie Fifty First Dates in theaters. For those who are unfamiliar, Fifty First Dates is a film starring Drew Barrymore as Lucy and Adam Sandler as Henry. And Lucy suffers from short-term memory loss, and Henry falls in love with her, and so has to every day kind of re-woo her to, uh, to date. It's, that's why it's called 50 First Dates. He has to kind of remind her of who he is and help her fall back in love with him every single day. And as I was, as I was reading this, <laughs> as I was reading Galatians and preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help but think about my own walk with Christ and that uh, maybe, maybe you are often like I am and like Lucy is in 51st States. Nearly daily and, and even moment by moment, I need reminding of, of who I am and what God has done for me in Christ. That's what makes this passage so beautiful. Paul is reminding the Galatians and us by extension who we are in God's grand story but how easily we fall back into old patterns of, of self-effort for salvation. This is a major theme Paul addresses with the church in Galatia through this letter. Like the early Christians, we too often fall back into trying to white-knuckle our way into heaven through just strength of will. And what results is maybe two, two things. One would be maybe a sense of self-righteousness, that deceives us into thinking we are made holy by our own efforts, or it leaves us feeling 
defeated because we know we can't be good enough, but we feel like we must keep trying harder and harder. But this morning, we're going to reflect on two ideas that Paul gets at in this specific passage. In, in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, Paul's basically saying two things. One, remember you are a child of God. And two, now live like it. So let's look at that first point. Remember, you are a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? When we think about Christ's work of salvation, we often think about things like maybe justification, that we are legally made right before God the judge. Or we think about reconciliation, how uh, peace is made between us and God. Or perhaps um, regeneration, how we were spiritually dead and then we were spiritually made alive in Christ. But what I often overlook, and maybe you do too, is this idea of adoption, that in Christ's redeeming work on the cross, I am made a child of God. Now, don't get me wrong. I hear this language used all the time. I use it often. It's in the songs we sing. It's in our prayers. It's in how we talk about our relationship with God. But I believe the terminology, like many um, words in our modern lexicon, have lost, it's lost its significance. Like the word awesome or love, we can use them so thoughtlessly that they lose their impact on what it means. So likewise, this word child of God or this phrase child of God can often lose its meaning. So what's the significance here? What is, what is Paul wanting to get across to us? First, I think Paul is saying all that work that Christ did being born of a woman, being born under the law to redeem those under the law, that is you and me, was for the purpose of becoming a child of God. It, it's, this is fascinating to me. There's this kind of symmetry or maybe this balance in this statement that in a sense Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, became like us, so that we might become like him that is, a son or daughter of God. Secondly, before we were children of God, we were what Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 2, children of wrath. Everyone in this room, across the globe, who has been born, whoever will be born, we are all born into a state of sin. A sin nature, as well as our own sinful choices, condemn us. But when Christ came to redeem us, he made it possible for our inheritance to move from wrath, being a child of wrath, to righteousness, being a child of God. And when I confess my sins before God and place my faith in the work of Christ on the cross, it's then that I become a child of God. With the titles, with this title comes all the rights and privileges of being in the family of God. I have immediate and direct access to God whom I can call Father. I can pray and he hears and he receives my prayers as my dad. I have a new family of brothers and sisters, a new community to walk through life with that I can receive, both receive and give care, support, and love to. I have a newfound freedom and, and, and uh, an inheritance awaiting me which we will address both of those things in greater detail here in a moment. But because of this work is done completely by God, and not of mine nor your 
own merit, the status of child cannot be lost. Just like the Galatians, just like the Israelites of the Old Testament, just like Lucy from 51st States, we forget. We forget who we are. We forget what Christ has done, and we effectively put ourselves back into slavery under the law and lose our freedom found in Christ. But Paul is saying here, don't do that. Remember who you are in Christ. You don't need to put yourself back in a place that you once were. Christ has done the work, now live in the freedom that he's given you. Does this ring true for you? Do you ever feel like, oh man, I have really messed up. Now I need to make up for it so that God will accept me again. That is you forgetting your status as a child of God. That is you putting yourself back into the the shackles that Christ has freed you from. Of course, your status of child and the work of Christ on your behalf does not give you license to do whatever you want. But it doesn't mean that you have to now prove yourself and make up for your mistakes with good deeds or something like that every time you make a mistake in order to maintain your adoption status. That is anti-gospel. The point of the gospel is a faith that there's nothing that you can do and a a trust that Christ can carry that mistake on the cross too. So brother and sister, if your faith is in Christ, you are a child of God. You've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You've been restored and you cannot lose that status. We must not forget this truth and fall back into old patterns of of, uh, works righteousness, which is this kind of like self-effort for acceptance from God. We must not fall back into placing our faith in our ability or perceived ability to make ourselves right before God. That is a denial with our actions of what we say we believe with our mouths. But what does it look like to live in this reality of our adopted status? How does adoption impact our lives right now? That brings us to our second point. Our first point was, remember you are a child of God. Second point, Paul's saying here, now live like it. But how do we live like it? What does it mean to live as a child of God? Verses 6 and 7 says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. We talked about God's work in releasing us from the slavery of sin and living under the law, that that in Christ we are free. Not only do we receive freedom from something, but we become heirs to something. Simply put, we become heirs to salvation. Our inheritance is the joy of being in the presence of our Heavenly Father and enjoying Him forever. The one who satisfies all our longings. The one who provides fully for all of our needs. The one who chased us down when we were rebellious and running in the opposite direction. We get eternity with Him. But we aren't heirs because of who we are, but because of who God is and what he's done for us. And this is part of the significance of adoption. This is what it means to be an heir through God, as Paul writes. 
But this cannot mean that the law and God's desire for us to live righteous lives no longer matters. That's, that's actually not freedom. That leads to death. But what Christ has done has now freed us from the bondage of earning our salvation into a life of pursuing enjoyment of God and living our lives as God designed. That doesn't mean that as we get older, it's a a constant upward trajectory of ever-increasing sanctification until we are perfect, and then we die and we go to heaven. Life is way messier than that. We all know that. And we often regress. We often stumble. We often have seasons of significant doubt. But our growth in Christ is an up-and-down process we should see over long periods of time a trajectory towards holiness and a deepening faith in the work of Jesus as we are pursuing God. Who I was 20 years ago in my walk with Jesus is different than who I am now. Has it been a constant, constant positive track of growth? Absolutely not. But there has been slow growth, and for that I'm, I'm grateful. In a world of instant, instant gratification, Uh, one-day deliveries from Amazon, Uh, instant meals. We find ourselves thinking our growth in holiness should be quick or immediate. And that's just simply not how it works. So how does it work? If I am bent towards sin and selfishness, how is it possible for me to do anything right? And that leads us to kind of the second part of our inheritance that Paul explicitly lists here. If you are a child of God, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's dwell on that for a moment. That's no small thing. You have been given the gift of God himself. As the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is fully God. Not some lower tier God or some lesser being. God himself comes to you and resides within you. The same Spirit that was there when God decided to make man in Genesis. Let us make man in our image. It's the same spirit that hovered over the formless creation as God created all that we see. It's the same spirit that enabled Mary to give birth to Jesus apart from a human father. It's the same spirit that rushed in like a mighty wind at Pentecost. This spirit resides within you as a gift, as a gift of being a child of God. The Holy Spirit helps us in our faith every single day. He comforts us, guides us, convicts us. He helps us when we pray. He knows the deepest parts of ourselves and intercedes for us when we have sighs too deep for words, as Paul writes to the Romans. What Paul tells us in this passage, though, is that his indwelling is part of our inheritance. It actually helps us grow in our relationship with God, our Abba Father, our our Daddy. This Abba word emphasizes this intimacy with which we relate to God, our Father. That is part of our adoption. We receive the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Now, my forgetfulness often doesn't stop with simply my status before God. I often forget about this inheritance that I've been given with the Holy Spirit. I so easily forget that I'm never alone and that at all times and in all places, God himself is right there with me. He's ready to comfort me, to give me wisdom, 
to lead me into paths of righteousness, but so often I forget he is often there. I miss out on so much of the blessing of being a child of God because I suffer from this spiritual amnesia caused from this lingering selfishness inside my heart. Maybe that's you too. How much better would our lives be if we operated out of an assurance that God was with us at all times in all places, that he wants what's best for us, and that we might experience true flourishing through him. But how can we better live as children of God? One, be by practicing an active relationship with the God who loves us. To live as a child means acknowledging the Holy Spirit in my life and going to him in times of want, as we're we often, we often do, but also times of plenty. To live as a child of God is to grow in the knowledge and awareness of who we are in Christ Jesus, that we were once children of wrath and now we are God's children. At one time, our inheritance was wrath, but now we inherit blessed eternal life with our Creator who loves us so deeply. But ultimately, living as a child of God has way more to do with being over doing. In a part of the year, January 1st, when we focus on bettering ourselves and setting resolutions that we will keep for a few weeks, or like me, maybe do once or twice, I want us to think about the resolution of being rather than doing. In most areas of our lives, we grow by doing, we become by doing. We run to be fit. We diet to be healthy. In our lives as Christians, it's, it really is the other way around. We, we are, so we do. We don't read the Bible to be a child of God. We read the Bible because we are children of God. We love others not to earn our adoption. We love others because we have been adopted. When we place faith in Jesus, we become a child of God. We can't become more of a child of God. We can't grow in that status. We can better live it out, but we can't be more of what we already are. What We are what we are, and we are fully children of God with all the blessings that come with that status. And it's out of that status that we are able to do these other things. And I would encourage us not to forget that as we enter a new year. As I was preparing this sermon, I was reflecting on the various friends I have that have adopted children over the years. I called one of them up to talk a little bit about it, um, and I want to share a little bit about this. Sarah and Tyson Moore are two friends, dear friends of mine and Rochelle's, my wife, um, back in our hometown in, in Georgia. They live near our hometown. We've kept up with them over the years. Um, we've kind of lived sort of like parallel lives in a way. Uh, they were married just two weeks after us. Uh, Rochelle and Sarah were bridesmaids for each other. They have four kids. We have five kids, all in similar age range. Tyson and I are both worship leaders for our churches. But th they have been a blessing to us in so, so many ways. So we often prioritize getting to see them when we go home to visit family. But before they started having children, Sarah and Tyson talked and prayed about how they might grow their family, as many of us when we are in early in our marriages do. 
They considered biological children, but also wanted to think seriously about adopting, which then led them, a few years later, to start fostering. A couple years ago, they took in a baby boy that had been abandoned by his mother and his mother's family, and it was not known who the father was. The state of Georgia placed him with Sarah and Tyson and their three little girls, and eventually the Moors decided they wanted to adopt this baby boy. Um, we talked, uh, when T Tyson and I talked, we talked about various aspects of their experience of adopting their son, but he shared a bit about the courtroom experience with me, and, and with his permission, I wanted to share it with you. This is, this is what Tyson said. I was most moved by the adoption process when we went to the courtroom to have the parental rights terminated on John Doe, uh, that is the unknown father. Gavin, uh, a toddler by this time, had been abandoned by his mother and his mother's side of the family by voluntary termination of parental rights. But the father was not known, so the state had to terminate the rights of the father. And in the state of Georgia, there's a waiting period with notices placed in the newspaper with the child's initials and birth date to see if a father would come forward. In the courtroom, we're standing there, and this judge is sitting in his, his high court seat and issuing truth statements about this child whose mother abandoned him and whose father is nowhere to be found. This child had no family in the courtroom to represent him before this judge. That's when my perspective on adoption changed. There was an anger that welled up in me that the court only knew this kid's name and where he was from. They knew nothing of who he was or what his future could be. There was no one in the room to provide that name nor that future except for us. When we initially took Gavin in as foster parents, it was a, yeah, you can stay with us. You need a place to live. But in that courtroom, I experienced a change. I felt... In this room, there is no one to be there for this little boy. We will be that family. That day, in that courtroom, Gavin became Benji Moore. He was given a new name and a new loving family with a new future ahead of him. That day, he became the son of Tyson and Sarah with all the rights and privileges therein. And here's one of the most beautiful parts to me about this story, Tyson said this, once he is legally adopted, it doesn't matter if you're the birth mom or the birth dad, no one can step in with any rights or claims. He is 100% ours, and no one can do anything to overturn it. This is adoption. This is the reality that you and I live in as children of God. We were left without hope, without a future, we were born with the name condemned. But God stepped in through Christ to claim us as his children and give us a new name, redeemed. And with that new name and new family, he gave us a new future and an inheritance waiting for us. And nothing and no one can take this away from us. This adoption is permanent and binding. No one and nothing can revoke this new status. If your faith is in the work of Christ, this is who you are. You are a child of God. Amen. We turn now.